Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast, where this time, get your flaps ready, because it's about to go down. <laughs> We're unfurling all of our skin curtains. What? Um... In order to talk about, with all sincerity, a monster that I have found I really, really like. We're going to talk about the cloaker on this one. Yeah. Cloakers are real fun little boys. They're really cool in pretty much every regard, except I wish we got some more lore about them. Oh, absolutely. That's pretty much all I'm pining for for this monster. It succeeds in, I think, in every other regard. Mechanically, it's super cool and versatile. The, like, concept, the art of it is all very cool and neat. I just would like, uh, just like a, a little bit of background, just like enough to get the engine going. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, the, the details that we do get about the cloaker are just enough to help fire the imagination or at least press the DM into asking questions that could create their own background lore for the cloaker. I have done like a little surface level research onto uh, whether or not there was more lore in the old editions. Mm -hmm. It's a little... Eh. The answer is sort of. Okay. <laughs> sort of is about what I was expecting. Yeah, not as much as I would have liked, but it's got a few details that are kind of weird. We'll get into All it. All right, I'm excited. And just to clarify, for those of you who may not have heard of this kind of monster, the idea is that it's basically just a giant stingray creature that hangs out in this big old interconnected series of caves and caverns called the Underdark, which is present in most D&D uh, &D settings. It's basically where all of the fucked up shit is. Yeah. And the cloaker is particularly fucked up shit because it disguises itself as a cloak, as the name suggests, in order to swoop down on creatures and eat them. <laughs> Full disclosure, this is also has to do with past editions. Some of the disguising itself as a cloak has been lost yeah. through the editions. Yeah, this is definitely not a thing it does anymore, or at least does not have all of the same context it may have once had. This may have at one point been a trap monster. It is not so much anymore. Yes, now it's an ambush monster. Yeah, yeah. But its its roots are in sort of a trap ambush. Yeah, but yeah. And and what results is this really w kind of wonderful creature that that makes me just cannot I cannot I just can't stop thinking about Dead Space when I think about this guy. It reminds me of the ones that are also flap the necromorphs that are also flappy in that, and even its name sounds like. I can just imagine some fucking space marine in dead space screaming, Cloaker on your six! Yeah, it 120% looks like some crazy alien flapper. Like It's really cool, which is kind of appropriate because it's an aberration. But yeah, I think that when used right, the Cloaker very nicely encapsulates the danger of going into the Underdark, which I think has been kind of oversaturated in D&D &D lore, kind of, what with all the cute Mind Flayer plushies and, you know, you're yeah. always going to have a series of adventures where you go into the underdark in your campaign it's i think it's lost some of its edge in the last few years yeah everything is most things people think of about the underdark are the humanoid denizens of the underdark yeah i blame those damn sexy elves those damn sexy elves those damn tentacle boys mm -hmm, those sexy tentacle boys nobody thinks about the crazy insectoid skin flappy spike monsters yeah yeah absolutely and yeah, I, I do think the cloaker is very cool. It might actually be my one of my new favorite monsters in the monster manual, if only because it Ooh. does feel kind of like a monster meant for me, like a sneaky aberration. Yeah, I think that is, I think that's an Orion monster for sure. <laughs> I could see that. It, it bridges the line, it bridges the line just before mimic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like... <laughs> it's just a mimic that is also, also has some illusion stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm always down for that. 
So without any further ado, let's unfurl our skin curtains and flap on in. <laughs> I watched, I, I just mentioned this to you the other day, but I started listening to, and you know, God fucking for fend, I bring up the McElroys on a podcast, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I watched the other day for the first time Griffin's Amiibo Corner. And now I I'm can't like, believe I, it took so long. <laughs> I'm really invested in now doing those puns just completely dead. So like the cloaker, let's unfurl our skin curtains and flap on in. <laughs> I, man, if that wasn't already a brand, that would yeah. have been the best brand. I it's have. a shame. It's so good. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back in time and make that what our podcast is. <laughs> oh, well. So let's do the thing. Let's get in it. So in terms of the artistic representation that we get, the cloaker has the silhouette of a stingray with a really dark hide and a very pale underbelly. Kind of hilariously, the first thing you'll notice when you look at this guy is its real mid-2000s back-of-a-skateboard-ass head that it has. (laughs) It's just got this face and head with eyebrows and big flowy red eyes and really sharp teeth. And it, just like big old like chomping freaking what's the what's the anglerfish teeth? Yeah, like. yeah, that's kind of what the maw is like. It's very hilarious. It looks like belongs in like Brutal Legend or just straight up like on a toy you'd market to '90s kids. It's very like radical in that like edgy turn of the century way. It's very silly. The text implies that this head is like furled in. Yeah, I I cannot like. Looking at it, I cannot conceive a way that this head does not just be right there. I, yeah, I completely agree. I don't know exactly how the morphology works for this kind of thing. Um, It's got some, like, ruffles, some, like, little wrinkles on the top of its head, kind of making it Mm. look like it sticks out like a dog penis. (laughs) Like it just, out. Yeah, just like when it's excited, (laughs) it just, come out. Jesus Christ. That's what I'm guessing is what happens. I don't totally know. That's horrible. I am kind of concerned that this is like the third time in as many episodes where I brought up the mid-2000s. I actually wonder if because of the way that 5th edition is presented to us, like maybe, and I don't, because you're, you've started to become kind of the history guy with this show. Uh-huh. I wonder if this is the case, and I'd like to keep an eye on this in the future, if most of these 5th edition renditions of these creatures are mostly just remasters of 3.5 versions of these creatures. Well, Orion, Mm -hmm. have I got a treat for you. Oh, boy. I have both the third edition and second edition art ready to go. Oh, man. I I did a little bit of looking up. Second edition version of this cloaker is... Second edition cloaker is my favorite thing ever. Tremendous. It is fantastic. (laughs) Like... I I don't even know, man. I It is literally just like a black cloak with a white interior. Like str- like not like, oh, it's a be No, it is straight up a cape, but it has a demon's face. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it looks like if Dracula's cape was Dracula. Yeah, it's Party City Dracula's cape, but also it is Party City Dracula. It is sensational. <laughs> like that is amazing. You got to look that crap up. <laughs> Stop what you're doing right now. Look that up and then laugh with us. Yeah. I don't even care if you come back or not. You just got to go <laughs> stop the show. Go look that up real quick. Laugh at that picture for the next 45 minutes and you'll get basically what we feel. It looks like a Scooby-Doo monster. It's so good. Well, I guess 
since you did surface level research, here is the third. <laughs> so you'll see the third edition one is a little more cloakish, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. But at the bottom of it, instead of like a regular tail, it's just like a spine. Yeah. It just has a spine. <laughs> it has, it's definitely got that spinier, kind of diseased, malnourished look that a lot of aberrations get in that time. They look more bony and fishy and less like slimy and weird. And it seems to have kept the the, the weird second edition thing of the face on the inside of the yeah, cloak. Yeah. Where if it closed its mouth and its eyes, you couldn't really tell it was there. That is 100% true. I don't know what possessed them to create a vestigial head that sticks yeah. out of the poker in 5th edition. It's really upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I my day is ruined. My disappointment is immeasurable. <laughs> I will not be purchasing 6th edition D&D. No, it's fine. It's like, whatever. Fuck it. It's a little weird, but I can get by it. It's better than yeah. fucking the Blights being sexy elf men. I can live with yeah, it. Yeah, clearly we're overreacting. It's a cool-looking monster. Yeah. Like... yeah, and again, it's such... It's so mid-2000s edgy that I can't help but be a little endeared to it. <laughs> and it creates a very surreal and fun-looking monster. I really like seeing this guy next to... I don't know. Who did we do? What did we do before? The Behind, like, badass-looking centaurs and crazy-ass shit. It's nice <laughs> to see kind of a silly-looking monster. <laughs> just the chul. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just this big crab-clawed thing and then this weird-ass cloak. Yeah, just... yeah. We've been on a good streak <laughs> lately of weird, fun-looking guys. Yeah. So the idea behind the name Cloaker, bear with me, is that these monsters <laughs> look like cloaks. Yeah. Again, I'm imagining at one point they were designed to be sort of like a mimic creature, a creature that is meant to ensnare the party by looking like something that it is not. The The awkward part is that the Cloaker has kind of lost this raison d'etre, so to speak, where it's no longer meant to be necessarily that kind of trap creature and is now just like a underdark predator kind of monster. It, it kind of rides this weird liminal space where the design of the cloaker still has elements of this trap cloak concept for the creature. So artistically, when the cloaker's furled up, it's supposed to resemble a cloak. So like the fin part of its manta ray body is supposed to look like tattered cloth, and it has these black yeah. spots on its hide that's supposed to be construed as buttons, and it's got these kind of really cute little vestigial arms that are supposed to resemble the clasp part of the cloak that you tie around your neck. I love those, actually. I think those are an awesome touch. Yeah, I think they're a really cool touch. I like them better in third edition than I do here, having both yeah. the pictures on them right now, because now they look like tiny little T-Rex arms with little bone claws at the end. Yeah. Bone claws ready. <laughs> I got you in the skin flaps for three minutes. Oof. That's very many rounds. That's you'd have a lot to get, of you'd have to within these flaps. That's too many rounds. You would have to get very many ones in your combat rolls in order to achieve it's that not, many of, of it's rounds. It's not very well balanced if there's no escape checks or, or saving throws. The cloaker is a misbalanced monster, and I will be awarding it zero stars. <laughs> <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> get out of here. But it is something that I love quite a bit as well. I love seeing, and I think this is what the best mimic designs do, is I love seeing how they can fit mundane objects into the physiology of this strange creature. It kind of reminds me of the, and this was kind of a, not necessarily mimetic, but this was kind of a hot art piece in the D&D circles online where it was the picture of the mimic that is disguised as a Nintendo Switch. Oh yeah. I really love that for that reason. 
<laughs> but yeah, the cloaker does hit me in that very surreal Final Fantasy-esque kind of way that I love. Yeah. Capitalizing on the stingray anatomy that the cloakers have, they also have these very long swishy tails that are, at least in this picture, adorned with a very sharp set of stingers that the cloaker can use as a sort of impromptu flail, which is kind yes. of a, a cool, neat way. It does kind of fuck up the, the cloak part of the cloaker, but you could probably just furl that up. Stick it up near your head. I was just thinking about that, about like, oh, it looks like a cloak. It just also has a very, very long barbed tail. I'm imagining it's like an Ouroboros where he just stuffs it in his mouth and then slurps <laughs> his head back into his body and then there it is. Yeah, yeah it, it's weird, but it gets the job done. Mm -hmm, it does. Yeah, I guess. Lastly, and I do want to camp out on this for a moment. Can we talk about how the cloaker is ripped as fuck? Yeah, it definitely... Look at that ab work. You could... <laughs> it's shredded, for sure. You could grate cheese on that boy. It's very good. It's a very, it's a very muscular chap, this cloaker is. And it does make it seem all the more metal in that very silly mid-2000s way. Sorry, it was... <laughs> it was like, you could grate cheese on those motherfuckers, And then it was just gone. Oh, did we lose the it, audio? And then it came back at chapped. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> She's very chapped. But it, it is a very neat progression, and I think this is endemic to the 5e art style of trying to make monsters more badass. But since the cloak mm -hmm. is so weird, I don't think it has that same sense. I love that the fifth or the third edition cloaker is very like skinny and frail, and then he got super jacked for 5e. Yeah, fifth edition, it's just like, all right, I've got to do 700 crunches in the Underdark hanging from my barbed tail from the ceiling. Mm hmm. I gotta, I gotta get these muscles so I can hold adventures in my wings. Yeah, I kind of like it. I think, you know, if they made the cloaker look very badass and ripped and it had, like, fucking <laughs> scars all over it all over it and whatever, it would look kind of dumb. But I do like it. I think it's just enough to make me appreciate the ecological, physiological necessity of having muscles on a creature. Like, it, it hits me in that... Guillermo del Toro way where the monster has elements of real life into it yeah, and considering yeah. I think it's very neat and might be something I start measuring these artistic representations by is how they incorporate cool things that you wouldn't think about like musculature and bone structure and how that would impact the anatomy of the monster absolutely plus like in in like a mechanical sense ju like just a peek ahead this bitch got 17 strength yeah. Like, yeah. he's got to have some muscles in there. Yeah, like, yeah, it does. It kind of makes sense mechanically as well, which is cool and neat and may not be intentional, but, you know, accidental poetry is still good poetry. It, it is a funny thought that, like, the artist drew this without abs, and then <laughs> they were they made the stat block, and then he was like, oh, shit. Oh, 17 oh. strength. I'll get right on it, sir. Yeah, hold on. Let me buff this guy up a little bit. I can get it to you tomorrow, Merles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Mike. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the lore that we get, it's mostly ecological and lifestyle stuff, which is a little bit rough because I really wanted a bit of backstory for why cloakers exist and why they're specifically categorized as aberrations. Unfortunately, we don't get those background details, but we do get some like weird niche little details that do fire the imagination in some way and gives the DM the ability to provide context where none is given. So first and foremost, the book tells us that they act as the sneaky, clever, solitary hunter kind of creatures who will specifically target injured or otherwise vulnerable prey that they come across while patrolling their home turf, which is often located in underground dungeons or caves and most often the Underdark. 
We're told that these lads are made mostly of cartilage and muscle and that they often stick to shadows in the darker patches of the cave that they reside in, making sure to keep their noticeably pale underbelly and face hidden until the moment that they strike. Again, mildly disappointingly, the book does bring up the cloaker's resemblance to a cloak, but doesn't elaborate in any way on it. Again, I kind of wish that they clung a little bit more to the fact that the cloaker was supposed to be a trap creature, and I... Yeah, it only makes sense in a way that aberrations just don't make sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. why would a thing evolve to look like a cloak in the secluded Underdark? It's very, like... yeah, it's very strange without the context, unless you're way into Pokemon that can just kind of coincidentally look like stuff that's around. Yeah, it's, it makes me think that like, and uh, this isn't in the backstory for the other edition either, as far as I know. It makes me think that like, they were somehow related to the drow yeah. in some way. Yeah. Or like... Or something like Maybe that. Mind Flayers or some other, like, humanoid aberration. Yeah, I mean, like, if Balette's just got, like, Crazy Wizard made him, I can imagine that Cloakers could get something like Crazy Drow made him. Yeah, exactly. And that would make a sense because Drow are supposed to be that sort of subterfuge, cloak and dagger kind of society. Yeah. Yeah. But, unfortunately, all we can do is speculate and then create answers for ourselves in our own campaigns. So feel free to go weird with it, DMs. Yeah. What we do get is that cloakers will often stealthily tail potential prey for some time, waiting for the moment to strike whatever animal or unfortunate adventurer looks like the surest kill they can get. In an awesome touch, the way that cloakers eat, they pretty much just eat whatever it kills right then and there by suffocating the creature with its entire body wrapped around it like a death cocoon, and then just mowing down on that baby entirely as it's like wrapped <laughs> up around it. I love that image. I love that image. I'm imagining the cloaker cocoon like jumping up on the wizard and then this fucking death cocoon just getting smaller and smaller as the blood pool gets bigger and bigger at the bottom of the cloaker. Yeah. And then it just unfurls and there's no more wizard. <laughs> I feel like this is the second time I've brought this up on the show, but like Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, you know absolutely. It's a Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> This is one of the Jeepers yeah. Creepers. <laughs> the, where he comes through the ceiling of the bus and wraps the guy in his wings. Yeah. Except in, and then begins to pick him up. But instead of dropping him without a head, he just drops nothing and it's just blood. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Justin Long or whoever was that one. Whoever it was. I think Justin Long was the first movie, but uh, yeah. yeah. You're right. That was Jeepers Creepers 2. I'm sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. This is the one where he erotically licks the window of the bus. I'm don't sorry. Get me, don't get it twisted. I'm sorry. I'll go get my flail. <laughs> Through which I can scourge my body in penance. <laughs> so, neatly, if the cloaker does get noticed in the process of eating this thing whole, the cloaker has a few means of self-defense. Firstly, it does have that whippy flail tail that I mentioned earlier. And secondly, it's also able to create illusory mirror images of itself for, again, a reason that we don't get. But, like, man, I do really want to know why. Yeah, I guess just drow magic, right? Like, that's all we got, man. <laughs> that would be, you know, if we're accepting this as, like, the, the most obvious solution of, oh, the crazy archmage of Menzo Bronzen made this creature, that would probably be the easiest way to do it. Since they're aberrations and not monstrosities, I just want to, like... I, you know what I want? I want, like, a Transformers mythos where there's just a, <laughs> a horde of mind flayers or aberrations out in the far realm that are just creating monsters that look like stuff that the prime material plane has <laughs> without context yeah i just they, want they just... yeah i want decepticon <laughs> aberration legion oh shit everything looks like treasure chests and then they come to earth and they're like wait yeah 
I think that would be cool. <laughs> anyway, as you'd expect from an aberration, the cloaker thinks on an alien level and will consequently communicate with other cloakers through a series of nearly inaudible moans. While we get that the cloaker is a solitary creature, cloakers will sometimes hold brief, basically chamber of commerce meetings with other cloakers in the area in order to trade important information about the habitat, i.e. where to find food or if anything dangerous has recently moved in. I like the idea of the players fighting a big tough monster that's moved in on a bunch of cloaker terrain without the player's knowledge. I don't know, a big cave fisher or something shows up in cloaker territory that the players don't know about. The players run into this cave fisher, start beating the hell out of it, and then as soon as it gets weak, an entire horde of cloakers dive bomb and eat the monster whole. <laughs> I think that would be a cool, tense, like, always a bigger fish, oh shit kind of moment. That would be real neat. Mm -hmm. I think that would be cool. I like the idea of this council of cloakers. It's really interesting that they say near inaudible mm -hmm. like because the idea that you could be walking around in the underdark and you just suddenly hear this like distant vibrating rumble of a moaning hum just mm -hmm. kind of like echoing through the caverns yeah you could like pass it off as a bat as the dm and then suddenly whoop ain't a bat yeah you just hear like in the a discordant melody of moans and mm -hmm. you're like what the fuck? That would be kind of cool, yeah. I like that. The cloaker can also weaponize this moan for, again, an unspecified reason. But the idea is that the cloaker's moan can, for some reason, produce a sense of fear in creatures that hear it. Again, I want that context, but whatever. It's cool that it's there. I, I guess I want it in the way that I want cool bestiary details. Like, of course, there's another part of me that likes the fact that it is this ambiguous, strange alien thing that hangs out in the Underdark. But the zoologist yeah. in me, the person who does this show, I just got, I want that lore. Gotta have that lore. <laughs> but, oh well. I'm yeah. I'm also fine without it, and I'm fine making up my own details as DM. It's kind of incredible uh, how little information past editions have about cloakers, but they, so they have so much about how cloakers act and what cloakers have done, but it's all referenced in, like, maybes and myths. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, everything about Mind Flayers is like, yes, this is the entire history of Mind Flayers yeah. or other things. This thing has, like, a lot about what Cloakers are about. Yeah, but none of that background Nothing lore. about, yeah. It references that they are actually intelligent creatures mm -hmm. in so much that they are thought to have built the Underdark City Ikemu. Hmm. Like, they've built an entire city yeah. by themselves. yeah. They supposedly worship ancient elder evils and old gods, yeah. but like old enough that they aren't listed with names. Yeah, it's very strange. It's very strange. I guess I don't need the like, cloakers came from the far realm after their spaceship exploded. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it's weird that it's missing and that the cloaker has been around for so long with no, none of that context or lore. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's funny because the the way the cloaker is presented is like, yeah, it's a creature that can look like a cloak. You get what it's about. But then it put all this other stuff that in no way gives you an idea of what the cloaker is about. Yeah, I can imagine that to be true where it was just supposed to be like a mimic. And then for whatever reason, people started throwing lore on top of it. But what's there is good. And the details that are there can lead to some neat little adventures or set pieces. Like I like the idea of uh, a coven of cloakers trying to get the a closet of cloakers. Huh. <laughs> I like <Hey>. yeah. <laughs>
Uh, my thought process stopped dead for that, so there we go. I like the idea of a closet of cloakers trying to get the party to assassinate some big monster that's encroaching on their territory. I think that could be a fun little adventure hook for these guys. And so I guess as long as there's something there that could facilitate a cloaker encounter or cloaker adventure, I'm fine with what's there. But yeah, that's more or less all I have for the lore. Yeah. So mechanically, the cloaker is this pretty neat, mechanically versatile creature that I think is, again, like one of the new top tier fan favorite monsters for me. So the cloaker's got a challenge rating of eight. It's a size category large creature and has an above average intelligence of 13. So consequently, it has a chaotic neutral alignment. It's smarter than most creatures. It gets an alignment. Frankly, it's uh, smarter than most player characters. That like... is true. Yes, very true. <laughs> It is a fairly tricky creature, but pretty squishy. It has a below average AC of 14 for that eight challenge rating and a very low HP of 78. Although the HP we'll find out is somewhat complexified as we'll see in the mechanics in a moment. It's got a teensy little walk speed of 10 feet and compensates with a pretty quick 40 foot fly speed. I would love to see a cloaker walk around. I imagine it's like a little bat. It just kind of shuffles on the floor like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> its attributes are mostly above average or higher across the board with a particularly high strength as we mentioned 17 for its combat purposes it also gets a solid plus five to stealth this being an ambush creature it gets its government allotted 60 foot dark vision and has a mostly average passive perception of 11 which is good that they don't have great perception because these guys could kill the rogue really fucking quick yeah like with almost without a fight yeah and the party <laughs> would never know because the rogue would just I'm gonna go scout down this place, and then they just disappear. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's rough. I hadn't even considered that until thinking about its passive perception. Yeah, so it's good that it's a bit lower. Since they're intelligent and have articulate mouths, which is a strange compliment, but it's true, they can just <laughs> flat out speak deep speech and undercommon, which are the most common languages of the Underdark. As always, I love me a monster that has the capacity to become an NPC. Since there's not much in the way of built-in adventure hooks for these guys, I like, again, the idea of a tenuous alignment with a cloaker closet. Yeah, which then this whole being able to speak undercommon and deep speech makes the whole they communicate through various moans a little weird. Yeah. It's like their, I guess, their version of a way to speak without anyone else understanding. Yeah, and plus, we, we get for a fact that the cloaker thinks on a next level alien kind of way. So I yeah. can imagine when it's communicating with other cloakers, it's probably the fastest, most efficient thing to just use this strange, innate language that they have in order to convey those strange alien ideas. Right. There's a thing in the old lore about them being highly xenophobic, mm -hmm. which could have translated into the newer edition in this like secret only cloakers know how to speak this way kind of language sure. where they're trying to they know there are other denizens of the underdark that could listen to them and so they have this own their own speech pattern right yeah that makes a sense and i can see why they would make that lore leap because 
beholders and mind flayers, and there are a lot of underdark creatures that have that paranoia, xenophobia kind of thing. Yeah. So it makes sense. In terms of their traits, the cloakers get something called damage transfer, where when the cloaker is attached to a creature, i.e. in the middle of the death cocoon process, the cloaker takes only half the damage that is dealt to it, with the other half going straight to the creature in the cocoon. This is an encounter trait type that you get sometimes in Final Fantasy games, and it can have various degrees of success. I think to my mind, the idea is that the cloaker has a party member in the cocoon, and the party either has faith that the cocooned PC can either push through the damage until the cloaker dies, or the party can find some sort of non-combative way to separate the cloaker from the party member before the cloaker kills them. I think that, firstly, by level 8, the party has enough utility to deal with this kind of thing in interesting ways. So, to my mind, this encounter type is only interesting as long as the player's only option isn't just to keep wailing on the piñata, regardless of the fragile, fragile candy inside. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that the party at that point has a bunch of spells and stuff and whatnot that could potentially help extricate the cocoon candy from the death cocoon. At the same time, D&D also just kindly allows for other creatures to just tear the cloaker off their friend. Oh, thank God. So that is good and is a, an easy way to do this. But as we all know, the cloaker comes prepackaged with some actions that complexify the encounter, keeping the party from just ripping the cloaker off of the person. If you hold monster a cloaker, paralyzing it in place while it is grappling your friend, I know that they automatically fail strength and dexterity saves, but the way everyone always plays being paralyzed is that, like... Yeah, you're just frozen. Your, your limbs can't be moved. Yeah, that's a good question. I... I guess, yeah, I guess it depends on, it's one of those things where what is consistent in your world is important. Right. So, like, if you've ruled previously without context that paralyzed hold person makes people frozen, like they're petrified, then yeah. you'd probably just be stuck with the ruling that if the cloaker is really around that sucker, there's no way <laughs> of getting out of it. You're just stuck in an iron blanket. Woof. <laughs> Whereas if it's just, like, you no longer have control of your arms and legs and you just plop over then you could maybe, you know, birth yourself from the skin curtain. Yeah, you just oh, 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 unfold its wings like a like a blanket. Just, yeah, like the... A starched blanket. Yeah, I was going to say the wizard is like the tasty, tasty tamale <laughs> in the cloaker's corn tortilla roll. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. So, yes. So, the cloaker still gets false appearance, it being a sort of trap creature, which I'm still skeptical of as a trait. I've for the most part, softened on it. It's kind of superficial because I've gotten comfortable with ways to get around the shitty parts of false appearance. Like, I've gotten comfortable with, oh, if you just make things very out of place, you can still arouse suspicion in the players without needing to do investigation or perception checks. But for new DMs, just, you know, as I said, with animated objects or whatever else gets false appearance, do your best to make this not feel shitty to the players. Mm -hmm. And to, to super hammer it home as we get into traits, the idea is that the cloaker, when motionless and when it hides its face and underbelly, it looks indistinguishable from a dark leather cloak. Lastly, the cloaker has the light sensitivity trait, which is a common trait for underdark creatures to have. The idea is that when in bright light, the cloaker's light-sensitive eyes are overloaded, and it causes the cloaker to have disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks that rely on sight. Yeah. Depending on what you want to do with this encounter, this can be a pretty quick way to just shut down the fight and reward smart players for doing the smart thing. Or it could be another wrinkle to the encounter where the idea is, you know, the cloaker jumps in, does its cloaker stuff, 
the party casts light in order to blind it, and then because there's just debris and stalagmites and stuff in the cave, the cloaker is ducking behind this cover in order to get out of the light while simultaneously trying to figure out a path to get at the party, or perhaps even using its illusions to bait a character out of the light and into the dark where the cloaker can attack. Yeah, it's fun to have a little thing to play with that could reward smart player thinking. Presumably, like, what's the the daylight spell or whatever? Yeah, I think it could become a very fun, neat way of doing that. Kind of pursuit as gameplay, shifting between predator and prey kind of thing, where the players are doing their best to stay in the light, but have no idea what's going outside of that circle of light. And then you as the DM get to (laughs) make your players paranoid throughout this entire encounter. Or you could just, you know, be a real asshole and have the cloaker leave, but not tell the players that (laughs) and have them be paranoid for a bit. Yeah, I mean, like, if they were like, all right, uh, we're in the Underdark and there's this creature that is coming towards us and we for some reason feel like it has a weakness to light, I cast Daylight for an hour. Well, that's going to be an hour. You're very paranoid then. Yeah, yeah. And in which case, if they completely shut it down like that and you can't think of a fun way to have the cloaker duck behind stuff in order to get at the party wherever they may be vulnerable, feel free to just end the encounter there, right? Or, you know, have the cloaker be so stunned that the party can just walk up and wail at it. Totally fine. Yeah, or consider the fact that they've just turned themselves into a beacon in the Underdark. Yeah, also there's that. So that might also be a cool way to take it where all of a sudden they get flooded by mind flayers or something. Yeah. So in terms of its actions, the Cloaker gets a pretty healthy set of stuff to do. Firstly, it gets a multi-attack where it can make a bite attack and a tail attack. The tail attack is the comparably boring damage dealing one, although it is important to note that the Cloaker gets a 10-foot reach on this tail flail attack which combined with the cloaker's large size means that the cloaker can probably target a lot of creatures with this attack at any given time. I was going to be skeptical of the 10-foot range, and then I remembered it was a large-sized creature, so yeah. Yeah, it could probably get at whatever. It probably has something that it can always be hitting at at any given time. This tail attack gets a pretty below average plus six to hit and does a really small seven 1d8 plus three slashing damage, so it's more of a deterrent rather than a deadly attack. The idea is that, I, at least to my mind, the cloaker fight is more of a race against the clock rather than a straight-out fight, but I think that race against the clock can get pretty interesting if you know how to do it right. The other physical attack and the sort of signature thing of this cloaker is its bite attack. This bite attack also has a lot of similarities to the tail. It only does a plus six to hit, it only has a reach of five feet, and it only does a very small amount of damage, only 10 2d6 plus three piercing damage when it lands. But what makes the attack dangerous is this. The idea is that if the target is a large size or smaller, when it lands a bite attack, the cloaker attaches to it. More importantly, if the cloaker has advantage on that bite attack, like say, should the cloaker be attacking from an ambush, the cloaker specifically attaches to the target's head, beginning this death cocoon process. Yay. The idea is that when it's attached to the head, wrapped around the head, the target becomes blinded and is also, importantly, unable to breathe while the cloaker is attached. (laughs) And while the cloaker is attached to the target, it can only bite at this target and consequently automatically has advantage on the bite attack. So very important note with this. Mm -hmm. If you are going to do a cloaker and you're going to do this kind of encounter, make sure you have either something prepared or pre-established in your game for what suffocating is like. Absolutely, and there are rules for it. I was going to put it near the, like, encounter building part, 
but it is something like once your character is out of breath, so they can hold their breath for a number of minutes equal to their constitution modifier. Once they're out of breath in their lungs, they have the constitution modifier's amount of turns before they die, basically. They, they're they reduced to zero HP. You're not going to last more than a couple of rounds if you're out of air. Yeah, the the holding their breath thing, does, doesn't that only count if you can prepare to hold your breath? Well, that is... And this is, again, getting into the Act 3 thoughts that we have. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. I... <laughs> because the encounter changes pretty substantially to my mind, depending on how you rule how breath works. So we'll get to it. Let me get all of the rest of the stuff out of the way, yeah. and then we'll talk about how, to my mind, the encounter goes, or what my platonic ideal of the cloaker fight is. You're right. Continue. So this cocoon thing could be a bit of a hazard in and of itself because if the trapped creature decides to run in a random direction they could end up bringing the cloaker either closer to the party to hit out with tails which isn't the biggest deal more catastrophically the trapped pc could just randomly and i would rule that this is a random direction kind of thing the trapped pc if they decide to run could end up running further away from the party which as <laughs> we'll see could be a problem if some of the things that the cloaker can do goes off well for the cloaker Another action that the cloaker gets is called Moan, where they call out in an unnerving way. It works a little bit like Terrifying Presence, where every creature that can hear the cloaker moan, and in a nice detail, isn't an aberration, because the idea is that the cloaker moans this alien wail, and so if the creature's already an aberration, they're kind of attuned to that alien speech and aren't bothered by it. Every creature that can hear the cloaker moan must succeed on a fairly low DC 13 wisdom save, or become frightened until the end of the cloaker's next turn. As expected, if the creature succeeds on the save, the creature is immune to the moan attack for the next 24 hours, but as you can guess, this is very useful in keeping the party from just running right up and smiting the cloaker as it chews up whoever got got by it. I wish you could see my face when, <laughs> when you said, which could be a problem with the next thing, and then you said the moan, and, like, the realization dawning over me, I think I physically, like, my jaw opened and I went, oh, no. Absolutely. If the <laughs> wizard starts suffocating, says, I don't know what to do, I run, and you as the DM decide, okay, roll a D8, and you run in that random direction. And then they run away from the party, and then the cloaker gets off a moan. They ain't getting help. Holy And that will fuck. end really bad. So, I guess yeah. DM beware. <laughs> that could happen. Damn. Yeah. So lastly, and another kind of cool thing that the cloaker can do, and again, like, compare this to the fucking chimera, which is a chimera and can do jack <laughs> shit. The cloaker is just a cape thing that happens to be awesome. The cloaker can take this action called phantasms to create illusory duplicates of itself, although the cloaker can only do it once per short or long rest. When the cloaker takes this action, the cloaker creates three illusory duplicates if it isn't in bright light, which is another way that light can shut down the encounter. The duplicates move with and duplicates the actions of the cloaker, and they basically shell game the real cloaker such that the real cloaker can't be targeted, which, you know, is basically just a rule covering the ass of the design. Mm -hmm. If the cloaker ends up in bright light, the duplicates fade away. When a creature tries to target the cloaker with an attack or a harmful spell while the cloaker is guarded by its little illusory buddies, the creature rolls randomly to see whether or not the thing hits the real cloaker. Kind of obnoxiously, the monster manual doesn't specify what you roll here, but you can pretty reliably just use the rules for the spell mirror image to help you rule this. All right. 
Another nice bit of mechanical detailing, if the creature can't see or if they rely on a sense other than sight, they're not afflicted by the illusions because the illusions are purely sight-based. The duplicates have the AC of the cloaker and uses the cloaker's saving throws, and if an attack hits a duplicate or if the duplicate fails a save against an effect that deals damage like fireball or whatever, the duplicate fades away and is done. It only has one hit to it. It is neat that the duplicate doesn't fade away if it's hit by a spell that doesn't do damage, though. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of interesting. I guess the way that the duplicate works is that if the cloaker doesn't appear, so like if they only mimic, if they only mimic the cloaker's actions, it becomes very obvious if your suggestion is working or not by what the cloaker's doing. Yeah, but it does, it it does kind of make things a little bit more mechanically difficult for those debuff kind of players. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got two layers of armor that you have to penetrate, but you have nothing to penetrate the armor with. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting and causes maybe some sort of action economy. Let me hold until the barbarian can do a whole bunch of cleave attacks or whatever in order mm -hmm. to parse out some of the duplicates. It kind of turns into something akin to legendary resistances in a cool way. Oh, yeah. 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 So because of all of these neat defensive actions and also this severe bright light sensitivity, I can see a cloaker fight articulating in a bunch of different ways, depending on how you rule things as DM. So I think the first thing to do is, if you decide you want to do a cloaker fight, the first thing you want to decide is, is this going to be a pry the cloaker off of our friend before they get smothered kind of fight? Or is it a get shook by this weird monster until the party thinks to scare it off with light kind of fight? Or some combination of the two. If you want this to be a lightless fight, if you don't want to even inject the idea into the party's brain that they can use light to make this fight worse, I think that the ideal encounter works something like this, where the cloaker sneaks up on whatever party member is most vulnerable, i.e. if somebody just wandered off or is the only one taking watch or something like that. I think that for safety's sake, if you want the fight to be dangerous, probably you should include a bunch of stalagmites or stalactites in the environment for the cloaker to dart over and hide behind, should the cloaker miss this initial attack, <laughs> or if the party thinks to use light by themselves. Mm-hmm. But ideally, the cloaker, first thing right off the bat, gets advantage on this bite and should ideally attach to a party member right off the bat as its opening attack. From there, and here is the first major ruling you make as the DM, if the trapped PC is alone and there's no means of communicating with the rest of the team, how do you rule the trapped PC in terms of breath? So obviously, if you want the character to die, big yikes, you know, make sure that's your kind of party. <laughs> yeah. Or you have the utmost faith that they can save themselves or somebody can come to save them before they die. You could just rule, you know, because they weren't prepared, they don't have any breath saved up, and they immediately start suffocating. Effectively telling the character good luck. Again, I really would probably not recommend it unless the character is super strong or has Dimension Nor or something. Yeah, and even then, like... Casting spells while suffocating is a whole nother bag of worms. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah. So, basically, this is, you know, <laughs> this is your major ruling as DM. You either rule that they manage to suck in air and consequently can speak or scream or something, or you rule that they haven't sucked in air, they have no breath, they're immediately suffocating, they can't speak, better roll a good strength save or you die. Yeah, so, you can't cast pretty much any spells in the book. Yeah. <laughs> So again, I would more I would more heartily recommend giving them a bit of air. I think if I were in the situation, I would rule something like you can expend whatever air is in your lungs to scream or cast a spell or whatever, but you'll start suffocating next round, I think is mm -hmm. what I would do. 
Absolutely. The give them one good breath to do something with. Which I think is the spirit of Dungeons & Dragons, right? You want the party to be alerted so that you can have a cloaker fight and you don't just murder a yeah, PC. Yeah, because at that point, it literally is just you versus the PC. Like, yeah. So yeah, I would probably rule the, here's your scream, but you'll start suffocating because you blew out all your air or whatever is what I would do. Yeah. And then that way you have the stakes, right? So you have a suffocating PC right there. Stakes are high. You have an alert party so they know what they're doing and your party has a goal. So the stakes are high. So the idea is that the rules for suffocating state that a PC has a number of rounds equal to its constitution modifier, at least one, before they pass out and drop to zero HP. So the party's goal at this point is to run over to the cloaker and try everything to fix the problem. Initiative roll. To my mind, the most dramatic outcome of initiative is that the cloaker goes first or nearly first and then uses its moan to frighten away the party or uses its duplicates to kind of confound the party. So, and this is, again, my official stance on tooth and nail. As long as you don't screw anyone, lie like a fucking rug. <laughs> I say that as long as you don't think it'll end in disaster, feel free to bump up the cloaker's initiative role so that it can do some of its more obfuscating, clever things that'll keep it from dying instantaneously. Another kind of strange point of order, how do you think these illusory duplicates work when the cloaker is stuck on someone? Because if the idea is that the duplicates just mimic what the cloaker is doing, it kind of makes it, to my mind, look like a weird graphical glitch where the duplicates are just clipping in and out of the cloaker that are all attached to this one person yeah i kind of imagine it being like a uh <laughs> because if it was just like how a lot of people play mirror image where just some clones of you appear around you that would be it'd be like well i attacked the one in the middle yeah so i've always imagined it being kind of like a graphical glitch where there's just kind of a a cup shuffling as you said earlier mm. like no. just everything kind of sliding back and forth mimicking each other's in and out yeah so again the rules kind of cover itself so it's still effective if the party is in a calamitous position where it'll take a little bit for the party to get to the person who's being smothered by the cloaker feel free to use the duplicate action first as a different less harsh means of defense at any rate this is the primary encounter goal of the fight the idea is that the party wants to separate the cloaker from the party member once the cloaker uses its moan and uses its duplication, all that's really left to do as the DM is just swipe at whoever's nearby with the tail until whoever is trapped is freed or passes out. If they're freed, they're freed. If they pass out, you're kind of more or less obligated to just eat the guy. <laughs> like, obviously, if your player is furious about it or traumatized by it, ease off. But if not, it'll feel kind of cheap or at least disappointing if the cloaker doesn't mow down on whoever's stuck in it yeah like it would feel inauthentic if the cloaker then left yeah. the body to attack something else yeah like it would yeah it would feel kind of cheap i get at that point like enough things have gone wrong and they're level eight they're they're big boys now they can handle it you're this might just be a, a party killer if things aren't done quickly which is kind of the spirit of the encounter obviously if you're gonna lose friend over it change it up yeah but yeah i i think that this is one of those feel free to kill a party member with this guy well that's the kind of the thing too is <laughs> it goes back to read your party before you do mm. a clicker encounter because mm. if you read your party and you think if any of them would be absolutely devastated and furious at you for a cloaker doing what a cloaker does maybe don't yeah or at least don't target that one yeah at that point once you know either the the party member is dead or the party member is separate from the cloaker the big exciting gimmick of the encounter is mostly over 
at that point, I'm down for, and this reads as what a cloaker would do. If the cloaker doesn't, you know, if the cloaker don't get that sip, I'm fine with them just using whatever duplicates they have left or if they have moan at that point and then just leaving right like covering their escape with that absolutely if you think you can keep the encounter interesting by having the cloaker try to take down another party member feel free or if you want if they have light and you want to try doing that the cloaker darts in and out of the light thing feel free to do it i would pretty reliably advocate not having the fight drag on much farther past the cloaker running out of duplicates at least plus like cloakers are intelligent Mm. So, and they're intelligent enough to know what they are, like yeah. <laughs> what they do. Yeah. If a cloaker thinks it's that, oh, well, I got one or, oh, well, that this isn't going super great. Today was not my day. Yeah. Today was not my day. Goodbye. And it would just take off. Mm. And then number one, the fight's over. They did it. And number two, now they're stressed out because they know there's cloakers out there. That's true. That's true. You do. You have put the fear of the Underdark in them and... As another kind of minor addendum, if you do end up killing a party member, having the cloaker escape right away allows the cleric-equipped party to try for a revivify at that point. Oh, yeah. If they're all level 8. Absolutely. I guess I should specify as well that the cloaker in the lore doesn't eat the entire creature in seconds, so as long as the cloaker gets a little bit of bites, there should still be a body left to revivify, which seems fair to me, since there's a very real chance that this death will come out of nowhere if the party doesn't want to just flat out lose that character if the player wants to hold on to that person or you know if they just straight up don't want the math homework or something i would advise leaving a body for the party to resurrect yeah and like a way for it to do it without feeling super kind of cheap about it is like to if you do kill a character with this maybe give them like one round to hit the cloaker yeah and then when they hit the cloaker the cloaker is like oh shit and then runs away yeah, you could so do that the, like so that. that the party doesn't feel like you as the DM just swooped in, killed a player, and fucked off. Yeah, keep it deterministic. If the party does a thing, have the cloaker respond to that thing. I think I think you're right to make that idea. Yeah, well, because it's like the opposite of like a Deus Ex Machina kind of thing, where it's like instead yeah. of oh something swooped in to save the day, it then feels like something swooped in just to kill Jeff and then fucked off and, and then left. left. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I think that. Uh, I think that that is the best way to comport that. But yeah, all cards on the table. I think that the cloaker is the biggest mechanical win we've had. So like in terms of just a straight fight, I think that this is my favorite mechanical monster so far. It has this really good, clear, interesting mechanical goal by trying to smother a character. And then since it has all these other versatile moans and duplicates and whatnot, it has a, a really cool defensive vocabulary that helps assist it do this one thing that it does very well which is smother things. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely the first time where a creature has had so many things, like so many abilities that all work together towards this one goal. Absolutely. Like, as opposed to just kind of a slapdash set of abilities that do some stuff. Yeah, it's very elegant. It's very cool. And then like to top it all off, it also has the light weakness, which is logical and major and can shut down the encounter and rewards a smart player. Like, mechanically, I think the Cloaker is pretty much perfect. Yeah? I think so. Like, I don't have any... Even with the Banshee, I was still, like, humming and hawing. Like, the Banshee can walk through walls, so don't be an asshole about walking through walls. I guess right. the Cloaker can still fly, but for a level 8 party, they can probably deal with flying creatures. Yeah, especially only 40 feet, not, like, 50 or 60 feet. Yeah. I think that the Cloaker is really fair, is really elegant, and the stakes around a Cloaker encounter are very cool and interesting. I yeah. think that this, yeah, in terms of a stat block, might be my favorite monster we've had. I agree. Yeah. I'm glad. 
I'm glad you agree. I was hesitant to say my favorite one we've had, but I, you're right. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is probably it's it is the most cohesive. I do love it a lot. So it's like, really really good. Yeah. I, at least for now, and we're only at C, right? So maybe yeah. you know, in five years when we get to W or whatever, when we're talking about Zorns and shit, <laughs> I can make a more informed, educated decision. But for now, I think Cloakers might be my favorite stat block in the game. And of course, like the entire monster isn't an unequivocated win. I do kind of wish there was a little bit more lore in there, but that that was pretty much my only quibble about the cloaker. Yeah, that's what it is. I was trying to think like, well, what's keeping this from being my favorite monster? It's the lore. Yeah, it's, there's yeah. It's so it's so good mechanically and has so little in terms of yeah. like what I like about monsters, which is the lore. Yeah. If they just obliterated chimeras and made cloakers the thing that Demogorgon made, <laughs> this would be the perfect monster. Hell yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, that is not the case. That's Cloakers. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tooth and Nail. I hope you enjoyed us slobbering the tail of this whippy whippy cloaker. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed yet another week of us shitting on the chimera. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's fair. It's going to be, we're going to be halfway through F and we're still going to be talking shit about the chimera. I think the chimera was kind of the worst monster. Maybe not the worst monster we've had, but uh, at least the 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 biggest uh, disappointment in terms of monsters we've had. Yeah, absolutely. Biggest disappointment. Yeah. So yeah, so if you're in the mood to listen to us shit on the Chimera some more, you could go listen to the Chimera episode. <laughs> Failing that, we've got a host of other Tooth and Nail episodes that you could feel free to check out. If you really liked what you listened to, feel free to throw us down a review on iTunes or whatever it is you may be listening to. If you really liked us uh, and you want to listen to other nerdy-ass folk talk about nerdy-ass things, we have an entire host of content on our parent site, nerdsmith.org. Feel free to give those guys a look as well. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, what's our creature comfort for today? Get you a swag-ass cape. Capes are in. Man, get yourself a swag-ass cape for when you're out and about, and then when you come home, just snug up in a nice warm blanket. Yeah, good. Wrap yourself up. <laughs> Try not to suffocate. Yeah, take care of your lungs. <laughs> Watch your lungs. Have a good day. Bye-bye.